the Capitol Hill to work out a compromise health care plan. A roof collapsed at a supermarket in France. Hello. Please do not adjust your podcast listening devices. This is not a drill. This is not a test. Stand by for incoming analyses and review of a brand new Jack White album. Repeat. Stand by for an audible Jack The Third Men Podcast is a fan-made, not-for-profit, just-for-fun celebration of Jack White and is in no way directly affiliated with Third Man Records or the man himself. For the definitive history of Jack White and his music, please consult your local Jack White. And for everyone else looking for a home, you found one here, in a place so seedy. Enjoy! This way, I shall take you to your room. Oh, thank you. I, uh, it's a nice place. Do not oh. touch the carpet. I, how do I step on the... I'll, t- I'll step on the hardwood floor. Um, you did not express that you were an idiot on Zillow. I didn't use Zillow. I used Airbnb. Um, that would explain a great number of things. Anyway, I take you to your room. <laughs> I used Craigslist. My friend Craig, he has a list of good places to stay. Now, please, follow me. Okay, we're opening your door, and we are walking in your room. Now, as you will notice, this room is very spartan. Yeah, it's ni- It's very nice, very open. Spartan. Very spartan. There are pictures of 300 posters all over the room. That was an uh, Let me take some down. I must hide my shame. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, I am the world's biggest 300 movie fan. <laughs> I can tell you had a you have a bottomless pit here in the middle of the room. Now, over here, you will find your bed. It is rough and cold. And over here, you will find your bucket. And the bucket. There is a wi- bucket. There is a window. And what uh-huh, I want you to uh-huh. do is I want you to stand at the window okay. and yeah, write yeah. songs as if you were Michael Jackson. I can do that. I think I can do that. Do I write the songs? Don't, do not sing. You must know your heart to do it. Uh, do you want me to write them as if I'm Michael Jackson or do you want me to write them as if I'm Leon Kampowski? 
Now, come, James, I want you to come here and I'm going to just come close. Okay. Come close. Mm-hmm. Come close. Mm-hmm. Come close. Mm-hmm. Come close. Mm-hmm. close. Close. I want close. you. I want you to hold me yes. like the River Jordan, mm-hmm. and I will then say to thee yes. that you are my friend. I want you to carry me like the brother. And love me like a mother. And will you be there? I want to know this. Weary, tell me, will you hold me? When wrong, will you hold me? When lost, will you find me? But then a man should be faithful and walk when not able and fight till the end. But I'm only human. That would be five thousand dollars for this day. <laughs> oh wow, that's um. That's a really steep rent. Is that a monthly or a yearly or is that a decade long? James is staying in a boarding house. That's what we're doing here. Paul, that was a reach. (laughs) 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 Welcome to the Third Man Podcast. I'm your co-host, James Kaminsky. And I'm your co-host, Paul Kaminsky. And James, this week... We've got a new Jack White album to review and talk about and such. Whoa! He's getting out the air horn sound. I know he is. I know he's doing this. Yes, James, that's right. Not since episode three of the podcast, and even then, not so much. We haven't been able to review a new Jack White album, episode three of the podcast, if you hadn't listened. Our episode where we talk about Jack White's uh, acoustic recordings, 1998 to 2016. But this week, we have an all-new Jack White album with all-new material for the first time since, well, well, 2014, if you don't count Dodge and Burn, in 2015. This is a a remarkable thing that happened, James, and we are so excited to dive in. Yeah, it's new. It's weird. It's all over the place in terms of styles. I am very excited to get into this because, Paul, both me and you have listened to it a good 3,000 times. A lot of times, I gotta say, and it all started with the surprise uh, announcement that something was coming, and, and then we got that first single... Connected by love, and I guess it's fair to say that it is a it has been a contentious ride to this point, with some of the fans out there who are not accustomed to listening to uh, a different kind of Jack music. But I, for one, am very very excited and into anything new that Jack's going to do because if you start repeating the same old stuff, James, it just gets stale. That's right. Shun we shan't on this album. I know Jack is railing against uh, people for clamoring for riff rock right now. We'll get into all that. There's a lot going on here with this episode, and we're just so excited to get into it. But before we get to all of that, James... Is there something we should stop doing, Paul? Oh, we just stop breaking down! Breaking down! down! Stop breaking down! Stop Breaking Down is the portion of the show in which we talk about something we got wrong on a prior episode and try to make amends for it and mm. correct it here Preach. for you, the listener, in this here segment we call Stop Breaking Down. And today we have a very, a very small Stop Breaking Down, Paul. It's a really, really tiny one. Uh-huh. 
it comes straight from your father and mine, and all you out there is father, Wayne Kaminsky. Founder of the Yesterday and Today podcast, available now wherever you download your podcasts. Correct. And as a man who loves his 60s, as as it seems he does with the Yesterday and Today podcast, uh, he called me up the other day and said, (laughs) James, I'm very happy that you included a Lancelot Link reference in your podcast, episode 64, the Mick Collins Extended Interview. Download it now if you haven't heard it. It's a very good podcast. I almost called it delicious. That would be weird. Um, it is kind of delicious. I'd say, I'd say it's delicious. Yeah. It's, it's, it's ooey, it's gooey, it's chewy, and you'll explode. <laughs> yes, as the, yeah, the <laughs> eponymous album, ooey, gooey, chewy, you'll explode. <laughs> <laughs> So he called me up. He said, James, I'm very glad you you did a Lancelot Link reference in episode 64. But you mentioned that Lancelot Link was made in the 60s. And I, Wayne Kaminsky, your father, and Paul's father, uh, and father to all. uh, That is how he introduces himself (laughs) to people. Would like to make mention that Lancelot Link was not made in the 60s. What was in fact made in the 1970s. Ah, that golden era of television. Right. That Uh, sweet, sweet vein of quality. (laughs) Right. The The 1970s. The vein in which which brought us Three's Company and Other. Um, And Other. (laughs) The first episode aired September 12th, 1970, and the final episode was January 2nd, 1971. So, Paul, this had a a couple months on the air, but, but it had a great three-minute theme song that I think all of you should listen to. It's fantastic and we should play a little clip of it here. Lancelot Link, secret chimp. Stands for justice, he has no fear. He's the end of cold and trouble is near. Lance Link, you gotta come through everybody. He's counting on you. Paul, that is not enough Lancelot Link in our podcast. I demand more. So, well, thank you, Dad, for that bit of monkey fact, because I found it to be very enlightening, and it, I've really evolved my position on this one. Mm-hmm. Um, just, you just, get the joke, James? Because it's a thing. Right. I could go into the production of Lancelot Link if you'd like. We can make this a Lancelot <laughs> Link podcast. You know, they had a seven-figure budget. Uh, and the filmmakers made the most of the budget, staging multiple episodes with the same settings and wardrobe, occasionally reusing the more elaborate chase footage that sometimes included a Rolls Royce. Citation Ooh. needed. That's very fascinating. I'm very happy to learn that. Thank you for telling me that. But I have to stop you right there. Yeah, Paul. Did you know he worked for Ape Agency to Prevent Evil? And the evil was evil organization was Chump? criminal headquarters for the underworld's master plan (laughs) i'm smelling something right now and it's not whatever you're reading a regular weekly feature was chimp tv host ed simeon introducing a musical number (laughs) by an all chimp band the evolution revolution (laughs) (laughs) 
I want to stop you right there to smell a fact, please. Yes, let's please smell anything other than these chimpanzees. They are reeking this place up. Whoa. This is the most astounding fact. The most astounding fact. The most astounding fact is the knowledge. Okay, so this rare smell effect within a stop breaking down comes courtesy of Kelly Durga, who points out that in uh, episode 65 of the podcast, the uh, big two, where we go over the Jack White connections to the Rolling Stones and the Beatles, Mm. Kelly sent us a really cool article here from the Nashville scene about that time Mick Jagger went bowling with Jack White and Death from Above 1979. Yes. So I'm just going to read from this article here, and there's a very funny photo of Mick on the lane. Is that what you call it? He's he's bowling. He's like mid-bowl. He's got the f***ing shoes and everything. If you missed yesterday's Rock Icon report, it looks like Mick Jagger is enjoying some R&R in Nashville, chilling at Radnor Lake. Sir Mick was also spotted... He's a sir? Sir Mick was also spotted hanging out with Jack White during last night's Death From Above 1979 show at Third Man Records, and today Jagger posted the photo above of himself bowling somewhere in Nashville, quote, Don't ask my score, admonishes the caption. Mm. Let's look at some facts. Jack White has a bowling alley in his home. The bowling alley in the photo isn't any of the ones we recognize, but it does have a distinctive duochrome color scheme and three-stripe motif. Keith Richards has worked with White before and in 2009 gave a decidedly non-committal answer when asked whether White would produce the next Stones album. And it seems like the Stones might be ready to hit the studio again soon, maybe even as early as April. Quote, it's been too long, said Richards in a recent interview. They need to record. I can feel something in my bones saying we have to record. I think that may be osteoporosis. Or heroin. Keith. One of the yeah, two. Or- <laughs> heroin so that's very cool because that implies that i mean more than implied it insinuates that this is jack white's personal bowling alley and honestly it tracks when you look at this thing it's a i think it's a single lane alley and it looks like something jack white would construct he just has far too many balls in this thing there is gotta be 400 bowling balls on the wall like there's way too many I get variety, but it seems like Jack would want an artificial boundary here. The problem is, Paul, because the balls are all rated to three pounds, he doesn't get a lot of strikes. So he has to keep throwing the balls down the alley to eventually accumulate a strike. Right. They're not very weighty balls, you see. Like a cartoon character. Yes, and he has the one 333-pound ball (laughs) that he uses on special occasions to get the last strike or to get the turkey, as one would say, with Mr. Carl Butterball, who loves getting a turkey in a bowling alley. (laughs) Nothing is finer than a sweaty bowler getting a nice, fine, sweaty turkey. (laughs) Why are they sweaty, you ask? Why are they sweaty, Carl? Well, because they're all in the presence of a Mick Jagger famed turkey bowler extraordinaire. I see, they're turned on by Mick. (laughs) No, no, quite frightened in practice. Mick would often confuse the noble turkey bird for a noble... uh, uh, what did he... So he would confuse. You're saying he would confuse the turkeys for like male chickens, like so. 
it would be like uh, like a sucker blues Oof. joke. Paul, I'm far too drunk for this bit anymore. Goodbye. <laughs> oh, that's been. I think I smell a fact. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I reflect on that James, you ready to start talking about boarding house reach? Mm. Paul, I feel like we have yet to go over and over and over this topic. <laughs> so let's do it. Hey gang, Paul from the future here, feeling obligated to point out that when James and I recorded the following segment, we hadn't really had a chance to absorb the new album quite as much as we've had now. Uh, and I'm speaking, of course, the weekend following the release of Boarding House Reach. So, while we have listened to the whole album when you hear this, I think it's fair to say our opinions have changed significantly in the time since recording. And we pointed out only to say, next episode, when we're back and talking more about the album, we will be able to provide a little bit more context with repeat listens. So, that's all from me, from the future, and now... Back to the past. And hey, see you in part two. Well, James, I think as we neglected to mention at the top of the show, this one's going to be a two-parter because there's lots to discuss here. Mm. We're going to go through a little bit of background. We're going to talk about how the album came to be. Then we're going to start the track by track. And then we're going to pick it up next episode. And there's a lot to go through here, James. Indeed. Lots to unpack. Yeah. Into our boarding house, Paul. (laughs) So, James, uh, the... Boarding House Reach story really begins at the end of the Lazaretto story. As we know, Lazaretto, Jack's album from 2014 and, and subsequent tour, was a large production. We got a uh, mm. an image change halfway through. He went through the Elvis period or whatever. I think it was a, an extremely strong album. Do you think he regrets that? No. Well, I don't know. Maybe he did. <laughs> he went back. Pretty quick. I don't. I, I I wish he kept it, but whatever. That's just me. Jack, nice. Jack Bubala. Come on. And the tour we got was a this sort of really expansive thing for him. And there's the acoustic sort of coda to cap it off. And he sort of leaves the Lazaretto era exhausted. Mm-hmm. Jack is no stranger to feeling bitter about things. I think it's fair to say. And he had been touring and recording pretty nonstop for two years mm-hmm. and I think it was about time that he took a little bit of a break and this is the first long break. We'll do an episode on the great Jack Drought in the future but for the purposes of today let's just say after Lazaretto ended that was a holiday for Jackie Lee. Now he did shoot Everybody down with his 33 a year later in 2015 for the Dodge and Burn album, the, the Dead Weather's third record. But that wasn't sort of in the can-ish, and they didn't tour to promote it. And mm-hmm. in 2016, we got acoustic recordings, 1998 to 2016, and that was fine. Obviously, a lot of work went into that, and he did do a couple of live television performances to promote it. Yeah, on the same level as Dodge and Burn. Like, Dodge and Burn and acoustic recordings got very similar if you want to call it a tour, tour regiment in which they appeared on like three, four things. Yeah. Occasionally a late night show. And that was about it. And I also wouldn't call either of those pushes half-hearted. I mean, yeah, he did what you would normally do if you weren't a touring act, you know, with each, there was something interesting. The vault supported both of those releases. Did the vault support acoustic recordings? Actually, I don't think it did. It did, but it it was a 45 that was both red That's and right. blue. I had it had the... Uh, Love is the Truth and City Lights. It had vault 
promotions adjacent to both of them and some significant television appearances. I mean, the big takeaway from that was him, you know, mocking Jimmy Fallon and calling him a child. Uh, that that is an oversimplification, <laughs> but it's kind of the it's kind of what I love about when he gets out there in a touring cycle. He always says something that's really funny and off the cuff and is always blown completely out of proportion by everyone and everything. The latest one, by the way, which I love is the headline across many websites, including like Uproxx and things, Jack White doesn't understand what DJ Khaled does. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is... Oh my God, it, it brought me such joy to read that sentence. I saw people who aren't Jack people posting about that online, and that's when I knew like, oh, this thing, this thing has permeated I, a little bit. I saw DJ Khaled fans posting, we don't know either. <laughs> Uh, but anyway those two promotional pushes that's no little thing and it's not like he wasn't doing anything we got the beyonce collaboration we got the tribe called quest collaboration we got finally the release and promotional push behind the uh, american epic project we got a new single we got battle cry in there we got the muppets thing Mm -hmm. we i mean look there was a lot of stuff that came out i mean just even rattling it off now it does seem like a a lot of work although at the time it felt like a drought because we didn't have an album or a touring thing and that's what everyone was accustomed to up to this point it was unusual it was getting an occasional drizzle a jack drizzle this sounds gross (laughs) the more i'm saying it but yeah four years between albums is a long time for a guy who's as prolific as you are has it just uh has it just been you Work on it, then put it down for a while. Work on it, put it down for a while, or has it just been nonstop for this? Uh, this well, whole time? I picked up I picked up rock climbing and mountain climbing, and when I say that, I have never actually done it. Okay, just I've seen a lot, a lot of it. photographs of it, and it just looks incredible to me right. the way people can hold on to those rocks and right. climb higher. Uh-huh. So I'm hoping one day to get uh, good. You know, all right. This is via Rolling Stone. After touring heavily behind his two solo albums, 2012's Blunderbuss and 2014's Lazaretto, White had taken about two years off. He said, "Quote: I wanted to be with my children as much as possible while they were still in their single-digit ages." And who can fault him for that? I think it's. In fact, in retrospect, I'm happy he did it. Yeah. And as soon as you reach ten, the age of ten, <laughs> I'm moving into an unknown apartment where I'm going to write a hip hop masterpiece. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that brings us to Jack White's writing style. James, what a lovely transition via Rolling Stone. To start writing the music, Jack rented an apartment near his home in Nashville. Quote, the idea was to use the exact same equipment I had when I was 14, the same reel and mixer, and say, mm. if I knew then what I know now, what would I do differently? Via Mojo here, quote, I was shocked. I thought I had tried so many things on other records and other songs in the past that I wasn't going to think of any new approaches, but I really did find new ways to put myself in uncomfortable positions <laughs> to work in ways I had never quite worked before. And then the interviewer says, you hold up in an apartment in Nashville with a quarter-inch tape recorder to write some of the songs like Michael Jackson used to do. And Jack responded, that's how I started the album. Mm. I didn't use any amplifiers or drums because I didn't want the neighbors to hear me. (laughs) I had to be very quiet and do everything wearing headphones. So I used drum machines instead of real drums and plugged guitars straight into the recording equipment. And I wrote songs by singing melodies. Connected by Love and Why Walk a Dog came from just singing what was in my head or my gut at the moment. I've never written like that before. So 
let's just unpack that for a moment because we'll get to the weirdness and the differences of this album to the other albums in a sec. Much like The Dead Weather was born out of circumstance and much like the raconteurs were born out of circumstance and much like the white stripes were born out of circumstance and this and that i think this album might have been born out of some circumstance i don't think he went into this saying i'm gonna use pro tools no i don't think he went into this saying i'm gonna use a drum machine i think he had to do that for practical reasons and then realized why the hell wasn't i doing this the whole time and we'll get to some quotes about that in a moment Mm. but i think it's safe to say like if you're forced to use it like he was holed up in his little room he probably got accustomed to it you know kind of like saying i'm recording in my dining room which is giving me a delightful echo and it's a circumstance that i'm using it currently (laughs) James, you... uh, Why the hell haven't I been recording in here the whole time? Yeah. So we have Jack holed up in a closet or whatever. He's holed up in this this little room. He's holed up! Yeah. Working on something good. And we had known about this for a little while. That that had come out, I want to say, like, summer or early fall last year that he Mm. was doing this. What affects you as you're writing these songs? What do you... I mean, are there outside influences? Is it things happening in the world is the things happening in your personal life what makes its way do you find into these songs more than anything a lot of times they're just words that get triggered you know something that pops in your head something someone said in a conversation at breakfast or something and that triggers a sentence and that triggers a paragraph a verse and on and upwards it goes you know you don't i don't know nobody knows where they come from i mean no, no songwriter really can tell you where they're actually coming from you just become some kind of strange antenna. I don't know what it is. So we were sort of aware it was happening. In fact, I know you and I had made a couple references to it over the course of the last few episodes of the podcast. Oh, yeah. We, we speculated wildly. And <laughs> might I add, I was 100% correct with my prediction yep, last you were, year. You were. And I feel very proud of that. I would just for, while we're gloating. I would also <laughs> like to add that I was 100% correct in saying that Blues on Two Trees was the yeah. was the early clue to the new direction. You were 100% correct. That and Jackie Lee have <laughs> yeah, have really uh shown us what he's going uh, going after. Yeah, which James is another lovely segue into this next subtopic here which is techno and hip hop. Oh yeah. As we just gloated about, Jack's music has taken a sharp turn toward hip hop, techno and electronica in recent years. There's been shades of it for a decade now. Hmm. Q cut like a buffalo. Oh, okay, yeah. But since the debut of his solo career, the influence and application of those musical styles has shown itself in more prevalent ways. I don't know if you remember this, James, but the headlines when Blues on Two Trees came out read Jack White rapping? Question mark, question mark. That was a big deal in 2012. Like, what is he doing rapping? Trees stand still, they don't move, you see. That's more commitment than you'll get from me. So quit pretending you got love for me and leave me a me. Even though you could make the argument he was rapping in Mickey Thump and other things, but whatever. Then the single Lazaretto leans into it with more of a pop flair, and everyone starts getting used to the idea. You know, like, if Beck can do it, why can't Jack? Like, there's precedent for it. Mm-hmm. And it sounded a little more pleasing to the ear there, so it was a little less confused sarcasm on the part of the general public. Yeah. 
Then you get to the Run the Jewels and Q-Tip guesting at MSG. Yeah. Not to mention the fact that we knew he had associations with Jay-Z. We knew he worked with rappers via Third Man. That's where Daru Jones came from. It's from, you know, Wu-Tang Clan. And all of that comes before you finally get Jack producing Beyonce and guesting on Tribe Called Quest. One could say even that rap is what created the Jack White solo career in a way with... Yeah. RZA being late to that session and stuff. A fun fact, by the way, Beyonce's Lemonade was originally supposed to be pressed at Third Man Pressing, but the deal fell through for indeterminate reasons. Whoa, that would have been huge for them. That would have paid the bills for a while. Jeez, that's too bad. I mean, in a way, it's fine. I mean, Lemonade would have been a perfect fit. It's got the yellow color scheme. Everything's great. I mean, damn. That's what's so great about this latest batch of interviews. He's talking a lot about Lemonade here. And he also mentioned, and I don't have the quote in front of me, but he was saying that, like, he not wrote Don't Hurt Yourself, but basically wrote Don't Hurt Yourself and then sent it to Beyonce and she made something out of it. I think that came from Rolling Stone. This latest batch of interviews has been great because he hadn't really talked that much about Don't Hurt Yourself prior to this can you imagine though like preteen girls going around talking about i know like third man records like (laughs) (laughs) i don't think they would like i jack white is obviously listed as an artist on lemonade and they're not like ooh, jack white they're (laughs) they're, but still you know and i'm happy that he had that moment of sort of touching broad appeal again in terms of like because he you know, as he's been talking about recently, he's too weird for the straights and too straight for the weirds. Yeah. And so he's he occupies this middle space that I think you and I kind of flirt with at times. And and I think his fan base is sort of also finds himself in that middle space. And then there's the fringes of the weirds and the norms, you know? The vocal, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the vocal crowd. At the Making Vinyl conference Jack attended last November, which friend of the show, Gilles LeBlanc, attended and actually asked Jack a question during. Nailed it. We caught a glimpse of his newfound techno love. This is via Billboard. White said that the vinyl industry has a lot of gratitude to throw out towards the techno world and the house music world. They really kept vinyl alive for those couple of years when CDs drove the pressing world largely out of business, which is interesting. I think that may be where some of his admiration comes from. It could be an after-the-fact thing, but a cool little nod to give there. I mean, like Mick Collins before him, he knows that techno has a huge past in Detroit and is a a huge musical boon to not only his home city, but to musicians that he knows and loves and to the music that he knows and loves. I think we even talked about that with After the Money is Gone when they joined us on the show. They had mentioned that they had gotten into techno and Mm-hmm. And you had brought up that it was this major Detroit thing. But this is via Mojo about the new album. It's a quote from Jack. There's a lot of funk and hip-hop vibes on the record. These projects I've worked on for the last few years with Beyonce and Q-Tip and Tribe Called Quest have brought up other environments for me to work in. So there have been a lot of ideas swimming around all the time. I'm lucky to still feel inspired in that way. And also lucky that I live in an age where I can follow those inspirations. If this was the 60s or the 70s, a record label might tell me, no, 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 you can't make a record like that. Go back to what you were doing. That's what people like. Hmm. So Jack's feeling feeling the freedom. Yeah, and it looks like he is trying to answer some of the questions his fan base is asking him. Which is, what happened? (laughs) Which is, please stop. (laughs) (laughs) Let's make it clear. 
At least I'm I'm not saying please stop. I I'm, no no no. I love it too. No it's, no no. Well, no. I don't. Lo- I like it. I don't. I have to make up my mind when I hear the album proper. Yeah, I think we're both still making up our minds. But I really like, and we'll get into this. But at the listening party, I really did like it, and I was really grooving to it for a little while there, even in that awkwardness of standing around. You know, and well, we'll get to mm-hmm. that in a minute. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, man, it's uh, it's wild. There's a lot of a lot of different vibes going on in there. There's some real punky kind of lyrics, and there's some gospel kind of backup vo- vocals, and you know some hip hop drum breaks, and, and funk, and definitely a, a, a funk feel, like you were saying. So it's a it's just a combination of a lot of ideas. I mean, I I didn't, I didn't write these ideas down. I was like, we're gonna you know we're gonna try to combine these things. It just started to happen naturally, and I just got out of the way. You know? <laughs> so what changed, James? That's our next subtopic. Oh. Uh, Jack changed his stripes. <laughs> well, it's funny you say that. That Rolling Stone article you just referenced was illuminating in a number of ways. Aside from producing pull quotes like, what does DJ Khaled do? And I was the White Stripes, which is not what he was saying, by the way, at all. <laughs> yeah. It gave me this, and I'm just going to read this in its entirety because it opened up whole new worlds, and I found myself walking around reading this to people that don't care. But I was just really, I was really excited about it when I read it because it, it was weird. It's, it's a weird thing to read. And James, after 67 episodes of this show, this is the first time we can ever really read something like this from Jack White. So via Rolling Stone. At Third Man, White is his own label boss. And he half yearns for an era when a big square corporation would have stood in his way. Hey, the label wouldn't let you do it, he says, fantasizing out loud. You can't record a song like that. What cool problems to have. How easy to rebel against that and make something cool and new happen. But I'm coming up in an age of independent music where there are no rules. So I've always created my own constrictions. The White Stripes, of course, were all about what white once called the liberation of limiting yourself though white stretched the boundaries over time the band was legendarily built around a mere three elements jack's voice his guitar and his ex-wife meg's oft misunderstood underrated occasionally one-handed drumming but his rules sometimes seemed to border on masochism if not pathology White once told longtime Radiohead producer Nigel Godrich that he was mixing a Dead Weather album without automation, which meant he and an engineer had to nail every tweak in real time. We would get two minutes in, White recalls, telling Godrich, and be like, ah, f***, forgot to turn on the reverb on the fucking vocal at the chorus. Now we start all over again. Godrich was aghast. The first automated consoles date back to 1973 or so. <laughs> they are hardly digital witchcraft. <laughs> Why, Godrich asked, were you doing that? Jesus, man. White couldn't quite explain it. Quote, because I just got to, he told him. I got to know in my heart it was done the right way. The hard way. The difficult way. But it was Chris Rock, who did a set in Third Man's event space last year, who really got under his skin. Nobody cares how it's done, Rock told White in passing. He was joking, but not really. 
I wish he wouldn't have said that to me, White says, shaking his head, because it's haunting my days. Because I've built my whole artistic creativity on this. But he's right. Because nobody f***ing cares. Even musicians don't f***ing care, you know? He describes showing, quote, modern musicians, quote, his setup, the tape reels, the vintage Nev recording console, to which they respond, well, I've got a computer, White bursts out with a laugh. It can't have just been five words from Chris Rock. Maybe it's age. Maybe it's restlessness. But White has begun to loosen his grip. Quote, it became, I've got to let this go, he says. This album is the culmination of, like, I don't care. I want it to sound like this. I don't care how it was made. Who is this guy? Because it's not the Jack White we've known now for 42 years. Well, we haven't known him for 42 years, but this runs the complete opposite. I, I Speak for yourself. I've known him for 60. It's... It sounds like he's just tired. It sounds like he's tired and angry again. Yes. Leave it to Chris Rock to <laughs> tell a joke that leaves lasting impact on Jack. Taste! Taste the booger flavor. I know it's in there. It makes sense. He's at a point in his life where he's trying to figure out if what he's doing has meaning, it seems. Mm-hmm. And obviously it does and it has. And he's been making great music and stuff. But maybe... He's finding the light that I've been trying to uh, argue at him instead of to him of what is the difference, you know? Now it's really up to me. And it's really up to me to, to push myself and be harder on myself. It's not up to me now to say, oh, you know, I'm going to record on Pro Tools and let someone else fix it. If there's mistakes on it, go I fix it with a mouse and, and use some program to tune it or whatever. I've really got to push myself to not take it easy and not take any kind of creature comforts of that scenario. Sometimes I sense, and maybe it's... That, a little bit of guilt? No, I'm just kidding. You know, what, you know what it is? It's a, you got to work for it. It's that feeling that you always need to earn it. You always oh, yeah. need to, and that yeah. it is ingrained in Catholicism. Do you feel like that's something that probably got into your DNA a little bit? I, I guess we have a job... You know, if you're, if you're raised in any kind of faith or beliefs or even political beliefs, you know, it, you get to a point when you're an adult and you have to assess how much of that you want to let still exist in your brain and, and, and dictate how you live your life. But uh, I'm glad that he's experimenting. We'll see how long it lasts. As others have pointed out, a lot of musicians in their 40s and 50s tend to switch things up and make music that is different because they... You know, they're getting older. So Bruce Springsteen changed his sound a little bit. Dylan changed his sound. Neil Young changed his sound. McCartney changed his sound. McCartney is the friggin' poster child for going from rock and roll proper to, like, digital pop ballad. Like, yeah. it it's just it makes sense that he's going in this direction. I think the difference with all the acts you just said, well, with the exception of, like, Dylan, like, it makes sense... I think Dylan's the best example, actually, out of all those, because there's a through line with all of them, but they weren't railing against the complete antithesis for their entire careers up to changing their sound. They weren't saying all this other stuff is cheating and all this other stuff is bullshit. Now, I would say Dylan, though, I would point to Dylan going electric as like, okay, 
that's kind of what this is. And Dylan and Jack have a kinship that transcends space and time. I would say this is Jack's going electric in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And it's just shocking to me because we read nothing but quotes up to like the last few months of him saying the complete opposite. I don't know when it changed to be. For, I mean, I, we know when it changed. This Chris Rock thing. Dude, you need to not listen to Chris Rock. Don't let Chris Rock get inside your head. And I don't know if you heard this story, but Chris Rock said something about the way Jack White makes his music and the process. We love the process. Don't let that dude get inside your head. Take it easy, he's Chris a good Rock. Man. He's got his finger on the pulse. He's, I, I really love his... He's just, he's just always knows what's going on. I, I, I always just feel like if Chris Rock says something, it's, there's something really to be thought about there. He's hypnotic to me. Even as recently as that Adam Savage interview, which was not that long ago, mm. he was going on and on about this stuff to Adam Savage, about his usual restrictions, and he has to see the gears turning, blah, blah, blah. And anyway, I just found all that really fascinating. and It is explains the hell out of this new album i mean it just that cracked this thing wide open for me yeah well well, yeah i mean it manifested itself in a good way at least he i mean he's he's also talking about buying teslas which is fantastic (laughs) yeah uh it's like he went to college jesus (laughs) he's getting new ideas from weird places from dangerous people it's uh (laughs) i have joined the university of 2018 my major is in school in you. Uh, so let's talk about recording the album, shall we? Mm-hmm. It wouldn't be a Jack album without arbitrary challenges and self-imposed restrictions, I think it's fair to say. And while Jack's attitudes may have changed in other areas, Boarding House Reach really is no exception in that department. Uh, first, let's talk about the fact that he's not using shitty equipment on this. Via Rolling Stone. This is, again, that article. White also abandoned his long-favored pawn shop guitars. It started when he saw an interview with Eddie Van Halen promoting his latest signature instrument, the Wolfgang Special. He said, I wanted to have something that doesn't fight me. Wait, wait, wait. That's the antithesis of what he was saying in, like... I know. Go back to 2008 in It Might Get Loud. He's telling a child... Yeah, fight You it. want to fight a guitar. I want to show you, Jack, what the... If you just... Take this and... That's it. Pick a fight with it. (laughs) That's what you gotta do. Pick a fight with it and win the fight. He's learning. (laughs) Well, he follows that up with, I was like... Those are the magic bad words that I completely disagree with, and that's why I'm picking his guitar. <laughs> oh, man, Jack, don't follow Eddie Van Halen. I love... <laughs> well, there's another great, great little... and I appreciate this next little plug he gives, but uh, he sent uh, Smith, who I assume he means Joshua V. Smith, out to fetch one and a uh, 5150 amp, too, which led to the unlikely sight of White shredding through a few Van Halen covers. The amp didn't last, but... He also got himself a St. Vincent signature model. Quote, I love that she was making a guitar for women, end quote. And a Jeff Skunk Baxter one as well. When he felt his fingers glide over the frets, he was dumbfounded. Oh my God, he says, if people only knew how hard it was on these shitty guitars. Because I didn't know. If I'm going to go through all this trouble, I kind of want people to know that how, right. how, how much trouble I'm going through. It's, it's kind of stupid, though, but almost like it. 
That becomes a different battle in here. But, uh, but you want to say this is a plastic guitar mm. from the Sears and Roebuck catalog or yeah, whatever in yeah. 1965, and mm. the strings are four inches from the fretboard, <laughs> and uh, it is a monster bitch to play. Yeah. And uh, But that is, you like the struggle. Yeah. The great rock cliche or visual cliche is all the picks yeah. taped to the stands that you can just grab one. If right a pick there, breaks yeah. or you lose yeah. it, you just grab another yeah. one. You keep the picks back so that you literally have to yeah. walk back and get another pick. And yeah. when I heard you say that, I thought, that seems Catholic to me. Flagellation. Why don't you just, in between chords, flagellate yourself <laughs> on the back and then a few more. But that's the sense I got. Jack White is tired. He's a very tired man. <laughs> It's like he's been <laughs> scrawling out notes <laughs> on rock with his fingernail. He's been writing his songs with rock on his fingernail, and somebody hands him a pen and paper, and he's like, it's been this easy this whole time? I wanted to feel the rock beneath my fingertip. I was reading this thing, like, shouting. I was like, What? Year, it's like Jumanji, you know, like what year is this? Like, he's just, uh, I would uh, point out, he mentions the St. Vincent guitars. St. Vincent plays a special kind of guitar, and when he says guitar for women, he's not being misogynistic there. That's how she builds the thing. Mm-hmm. She designed this guitar to be cut for women, you know, like a women's shirt almost, so that it would fit, you know, proportions. I think that it's great that there is a tool on the market designed by someone with a female form. I think that's rad. Um, I, I would call it a, a, a gender-inclusively ergonomic. And she has a video online that explains all this in a lot of detail. And on her current tour, it's cool because she changes her guitar every song, but it's the same guitar that she makes, just in a different color. So that's it's pretty cool. Anyway. So here's some more from Rolling Stone, because before Jack White walked into a New York recording studio, he issued himself a challenge. Spend only three days recording a new batch of songs with a group of musicians he had never played with. Many of them were from the hip-hop world. He had reached out to players he'd seen with Jay-Z, Kanye West, Kendrick Lamar, and others. Quote, I had no idea if we'd be able to communicate musically, White says. It could have been a recipe for disaster. I think it would scare the hell out of most people, so it was very enticing for me. (laughs) Charlton Heston. (laughs) Within ten minutes of playing, White knew his plan would work. Quote, there was so much amazing music being played, he says. Some of those songs could take up an entire side of an album, like a Miles Davis record or a Funkadelic record. Then someone would do something and another mood would change the room, White bookmarked three more days with different players in L.A. True or false, the story we hear is that you almost randomly picked musicians out that you had never worked with before, got in a room with them, just started playing, just to see what would happen. That's true, yeah. I did that in uh, New York and L.A., and I hadn't recorded really in, in either of those cities before. Never never worked on my own stuff in any in any of those big towns, so... That was first for me, and then it was, a, you know, to, to work with a lot of musicians I'd never even met, let alone uh, I'd only seen them in video clips. I'd, I was just looking through and, and asking people. I would, I, mean, I think I asked, you know, in New York, I asked Q-Tip, who's, who's the best drummer in New York? And he said Louis Cato, and so that was enough, good enough for me. And 
on and on. Uh, it went on like that. And so and it was just like it could have been a big disaster. I was I was well prepared to show up and like after a day say, you know, it's just not working out, man. We tried, but it was wonderful. Everyone was absolutely amazing. Got incredibly lucky. And then took the music home to edit it down and add new elements, much like Davis did on Bitches Brew. So Bitches Brew is another thing I would point to here as a key moment in this album's inception. Bitches Brew, for those of you not familiar, is the wildly experimental, weird album that Miles Davis put out at the height of his powers, where everyone was expecting kind of blue. Bitches Brew. It's kind of hard to listen to if you're accustomed to what Miles Davis was putting out. So this album, Bitches Brew, I think there's a lot of similarity you can draw between the two. Are you familiar at all with Mm. Bitches Brew, James? Honestly, no, but I am familiar with Kind of Blue. And I can imagine if Miles Davis went and talked to Chris Rock and started (laughs) mixing it up with different genres, be... be a little disconcerting i would love a set of memes of chris rock showing up and (laughs) and just saying to somebody you could be doing it this way the whole time like michelangelo's on the sistine chapel and chris rock comes in he's like why are you doing that on your back why don't you just do it standing up here's a projector you know you can actually put spice in the pan without saying bam emerald (laughs) you know it's a lot easier yeah anyway um, that mentions New York and L.A. We'll touch on that more here via Mojo Magazine. This is a quote from Jack. I recorded the album in three-day sessions in New York and L.A., places I'd never recorded before with musicians I'd never recorded with before, then finished it in Nashville. My goal was to not worry about what made the sound anymore. In the past, if someone asked me what made that sound, I could say, like, that's a Hammond B3 plugged into a Leslie with some reverb on it. That mattered to me. But this time, I attacked it like, I don't care. (laughs) I don't care what makes the sounds. Because I don't think most teenagers care about what makes the sounds. (laughs) And that used to upset me. But I think I shouldn't let that bother me anymore. If the tone is beautiful, it doesn't matter where it came from. Finally... I was playing with these strange new musicians I'd never played with before, and we had to hurry to become musical friends in just three days. Jack got woke real quick. Like, I really want to... I've been wanting to shake this man for a while, going like, it doesn't matter. Like, I appreciated his... his his standing and, and all that stuff but like and i've explained this if you're a follower on the thinking persons jack white group i've explained this before but in the illustration world that i'm a part of there's a big war going on between people who are traditionalists and people who are all about digital and it doesn't matter what makes the line what matters is that the line is made and it's just 
anyway. There's something, like, uh, let me just play devil's advocate here. There's something to be said for discipline. Yes. And there's something to be said for learning how to do it the, quote, right way or the hard way. Because oftentimes what that will do is inform how you do it the easy way. Like when you're working in pen and ink, James, you know about thick to thin because of how heavy your hand is pressing down on the on the nib but if you were just to go into photoshop that concept would be foreign to you because all line would seem static so you do have to have a starting point of course you got to learn the basics before you can you got to learn to walk before you can run but if jack is anything he's a modern artist and he's somebody who loves the style period he's somebody who loves modern art yeah and picasso a modern artist who a lot of people can pointed a painting and say i could do that picasso knew how to paint and render beautifully and by beautifully i mean like realistically he knew how to do stuff so naturalistic yeah and then he moved that into stylized boxes and cubes and created new movements from his expertise yeah and if anything i think jack is capable of doing the same thing with his rock and roll well said this record is uh it, it, it's just so different from anything else that you have ever done before. What was going through your head as you were making it? What was the mm. thing that you were trying to accomplish? I just wanted the music to tell me what to do. It just uh, to not get in the way of it and and uh, let the music be in control. You know, you're, if you if you if your ego gets too involved and you start telling it what to do, I think that's when I, that's when I personally. Uh, don't work very well with it. It, it. It's it's when the music is in control and directs us. That's that's what that's what I like to see happen. But I think that's what's good too because you, you end up having an album with lots of different personalities because you're not pushing them all in the same fu- funnel. You know, via jam bass. The 13 track follow up to 2014's Lazaretto was recorded in Nashville at Third Man Studio as well as Capitol Studios in Los Angeles. That's where he was recording. Capitol. <laughs> And Sear Sound in New York City. I should explain that briefly before I return to this quote. I saw on his Instagram he was in L.A. because he took a photo, like, with the band, and they use that photo places. And so I went and tried to investigate different recording studios in L.A. just to see, like, maybe I'll see that wall and I'll have a clue that that's where he recorded. And I never I never found it because I, I assumed it wouldn't be at Capitol. And I've also never been inside Capitol. Many people I love and admire are recording at Capitol Records right now, like Jenny <laughs> Lewis and St. Vincent was there, and it's pissing me off. Anyway, I did find the restaurant that Jack took a photo in and took a photo in the exact same spot. I'm not proud of it, but I'm also super proud of it. Um, uh, to go back to this jam bass uh, quote here, White tapped a wide range of musicians to contribute to Boarding House Reach, including drummers Louis... Kato, Daru Jones, who we know, and Carla Azar, as we know. Bassist Charlotte Kemp Mole. Charlotte, we should point out, is a noted musician, collaborator with Sean Ono Lennon in the band Ghost of a Sabretooth Tiger. And I I had followed her for a little while. She's also a model? Synthesizer players DJ Harrison. Wouldn't it be great if that was Danny? Probably not. And Anthony Brew Brewster. Uh, keyboardists Neil Evans and Quincy McCrary, percussionists Bobby Allenday, and Justin Puri. I was hoping Bieber was going to follow. Yeah. <laughs> and the McCrary sisters, those we know. Uh, I think they recorded it mm-hmm. in a, maybe a Blue Room single, didn't they? Something like that. I believe so. Yeah. Uh, vocalists Anne McCrary and Regina McCrary, and vocalists Esther Rose and C.W. Stone King. 
His recording process changes from album to album, but this one seemed to be even more of a departure from his roots. Via Rolling Stone, White acknowledges that his new recording process couldn't be more different from the White Stripes days, when we'd record and mix the whole album in a week. But he stresses those records have something important in common with his new work. Quote, I've always made it my job to push myself into uncomfortable situations. He says, if you're an artist, your job's not to make life easier on yourself and make other people do work for you. I've never been a fan of people who do that, and I don't respect that sort of way of attacking music, which is sort of drifting back into his old ways a little bit, and I'm not quite sure where he's coming from on that one compared to everything else he was just saying, but that leads to the really the main difference in recording between this album and everything else he's recorded. James, Jack has been using Pro Tools. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> 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 um, also, the McCrary sisters seems like they never did anything at Third Man, but they did do Connected by Love and Respect Commander. I so. feel like I know them from something. I don't know. It's po- they're f- they did stuff in Nashville. Via Rolling Stone, some of these songs have three or four drummers on them, says White, who in the end headed back to Nashville to, quote, Frankenstein it all together. As Third Man exec and longtime friend Ben Swank puts it, I don't know if he was feeling like he was in a rut or what. <laughs> says White's engineer Joshua V. Smith, but it seemed like he was feeling inspired by doing things a little different. I just want to point out, Paul, real quick, that the McCrary sisters, I don't see anything of them doing anything for Third Man Records, but they did sing back up on Do Right By Me, which is a song on the new Margot Price album. where i know them from this is consequence of sound i'm looking at right now i love do right by me by the way continuing with this rolling stone article here he tracked everything to tape as usual but for editing white turned to pro tools a digital convenience he condemned not long ago as cheating moving to a realm where musicianship could be trumped by the click of a mouse was he says a gigantic scary thing get behind him satan (laughs) <laughs> All right, so James, let's get to the teasers and the announcement of this rig. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, this is, uh, I think we had a lot of heads up that this was going to be a weird one. We did get a lot of heads up. Jack constantly talked about how he hopes the fans will appreciate this album, mm-hmm. I think. Yes. Uh, and he talked about it in Vault Chat and in a whole bunch of other places, but yeah. In November, in between book signings for the We Are Gonna Be Friends project, Jack spoke at a Making Vinyl conference, which we discussed in Detroit, where he spoke briefly about the new album. This is one of the first sort of nuggets we got about it. And I remember it being the first nugget because when I met him at that book signing, I said, can't wait for the new record because I had just read what I'm about to read you here. Mm. Pressing the flesh during a cocktail reception. Good Lord, is that what they call networking at this place? Pressing the flesh? Paul, press the flesh. During a cocktail reception after the talk, White told Billboard his next solo album, the sequel to 2014's Lazaretto, is, quote, practically done. Just some finishing touches. 
It's a bizarre one. I've just got to let it settle. I need to listen to it myself. I haven't been able to listen to it by myself for a while. This <laughs> Good sign. Very good sign. So he's aware that it's weird. Also in November, Jack interviewed his buddy Gary Oldman for Interview Magazine, where it was reported during the chat, White told Gary... I've been recording in New York, Los Angeles, and Nashville. I've never recorded in New York or Los Angeles before. I tried to go to some new places and meet musicians I've never met before and see if I could get to a new place. I'm getting somewhere. I'll send you something. It's good gardening music or roofing music or, you know, back alley stabbing music. I'm trying to think of some good activities that people haven't written songs for yet. Yeah, all right, look, I don't understand. I don't <laughs> I listen to it. It's it's music. I'd get stabbed. I don't understand that. the. I mean, the back alley stabbings, sure, but gardening. I'm picturing myself gardening <laughs> to respect Commander, and I'm like, <laughs> yep. I'm. It's very aggressive gardening music. <laughs> And I think that's why, James, our last episode, episode 66, Launching the Dead Weather, fits so well here, because there's a lot of parallel I think we can draw between the dead weather and this in its aggression and general mood. Mm. Jack told Mojo, you said that after you finished the album, it sounded bizarre to you. Quote, I meant that as a compliment to myself. Not that I'm patting myself on the back, but bizarre and weird, these are good terms in my family. I just knew that this was very different. And it was striking a chord within me. But I still don't know what people out there in the world will think of it. I know my friends and other musicians I've played it too all like it, but maybe they're just being polite. I appreciate the fact he understands he probably has yes-men in his midst. That's pretty cool. It's very realistic of him. Mm -hmm. The line of bestfit.com had a good description of the record. There's moments of glitchy neo-funk experimental gospel yes experimental and very strong influence from early 90s hip-hop basically it's the result of too many session musicians and one of the music industry's leading figures pressing record and having a blast in the studio glitchy is a nice way to put this album it seems like it glitches out every now and again yeah it switches genre it switches tempos it switches everything real quick yeah a lot of the time slant would later remark a postmodern assault of freaked out sonic ataxia. It's messy, ataxia. wildly uneven, and at times even close to unlistenable, but its sheer audacity makes it utterly intriguing. And while I think that that's a little mean, I think both of us are on the same page in that we don't want to, as we were saying before, be Jack White yes men. Mm-hmm. We're trying our best not to be like, it's amazing because he made it. But at the same time, I kind of feel like I'm into anything he'll make right now yeah. because I want something he'll make. Yeah. You know what my litmus test is? Can I put it on in the living room while Susanna's in there? <laughs> yeah. If there's a lot of loud noises and static that seems to have zero melody whatsoever but seems to blare at her and frighten her, she's going <laughs> to leave the room or say, turn this off, please. 
<laughs> so when I was listening to it in the record store, I was like, oh, this is awesome. You know, walk a dog. All right, I get it. Oh, he's doing some gospel. That's kind of fun. Oh, Corporation. This is like, a, this is kind of a groove. He's screaming a little bit, but it's fine. And then there's like one song where it's just like, <laughs> and I'm like, what? <laughs> Most of most of what I've heard so far, and I've heard the album, most of what I've heard so far is listenable in a car for me, and I wouldn't skip most of the tracks. Like, I guess uh, the litmus test for me would be skipping a track in the car. Like, if I have my windows down and I'm in traffic, what would I be embarrassed to have on? Mm. And what would I just not want to listen to? And the spoken word stuff is great every once in a while. And I think Mojo even put it in a way that I agree with, which is it's odd and it doesn't reward repeat listens. Like (laughs) it's, it's good and I really like it, but it's not something I'm going to, you know, jam out to. And I think a lot, a large part of Jack White's fan base is looking for something they can jam out to. I would say that I I feel that way about corporation. I've, I've been corporation. I can jam out. I've been putting corporation on, pretty heavy rotation and i have not gotten sick of it yet and that's a five and a half minute song with very few lyrics it's true corporations the way you put it to me is jack white made a funk album and corporation is yeah is funk well, well that we'll, is we'll get to the we'll get we'll do yeah. the track by track in a minute we'll talk about corporation but just to, just to okay. sort of get through this the next big push for the album came on december 12th 2017 right as we were recording our year in review episode i believe where third man released a teaser video collage called servings and portions from my boarding house reach said of the video it's a psycho collage of sound boom bap white signature fuzz not yet signature rapping style old school r&b ragtime piano damaged beats and oscillator balladry are all broken up by seconds of harsh noise sometimes it appears to collapse in on itself and the seconds of harsh noise is i think what i was talking about a moment ago as like I assumed that that was just like some ambient thing he put in the boarding house reach servings and portions video. I didn't realize that was actually going to be on the album. Yeah, I think we both thought it was going to be all of the uh, weird static and radio hisses and uh, beeps and boops yeah. were probably going to be avoided, but it happened. Turns out they're the song. Yeah. Um, the first listen came fresh into the new year when third man teased something new in posts on their social channels and website the week of january 10th the first single was released that seemed to fall out of the clear blue sky on january 11th with the song and video for connected by love hitting the internet on streaming devices and vivo proclaimed rolling stone the four-year wait is over 
and we will talk about that song in a moment. But that was a very exciting day. I don't know about you, James, but I was really excited when the new song came out. It took me a minute to get into Connected by Love. I still don't really go to that song and be like, I'm going to listen to Connected by Love. I kind of do it more with the B-side, Respect Commander, which again, we will get to these songs in a moment. But it was very exciting to get a new single. It was very exciting to get a new video, which is kind of cool. And I watched it a bunch that day, and to the point where one of my coworkers uh, came up behind me and said, uh, Are you always on brand? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. (laughs) Pretty good. Yeah. How'd you feel about it when when that happened, James? I am looking for the exact things I wrote for it because I actually did a a play-by-play for it when I watched it because I kind of I listened and watched and typed as I was listening and watching because I was so excited that I needed to make sure I captured my thoughts because I'm a nerd Uh and uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it I really did and I think that when I listened to it the first time, I listened to it when it dropped accidentally on title for like a second. And it was, uh, I was expecting a sound that I didn't get. I will admit to that. I was looking for a thing similar to what I found in Lazaretto. I was looking for that kind of sound. That sound wasn't there. Yeah. In a way, it, it reminded me a little bit of, um, would you fight for my love mm-hmm. in that it's like an anthem song. Yeah. With a go- gospel undertones. Yeah. Yeah, but I enjoyed it. I listened to it again, thought it was better the second listen, and then I saw that the video had come out and watched the video with the song, uh, turned my headphones way up, not caring about my coworkers around me, and I thought the song was amazing. I think the song deserves a listen to that is loud, and I think the song deserves a listen to with the video as well. Yeah, Um, I think it's going to be great live, too. Yes. The video adds a lot to the lyrics, or at least what the lyrics seem to be talking about, even if it's nonsense. Yeah. There's, it, it seems like there's, a, there's an underlying message he's trying to put out there for. I liked it, is what I'm trying to say. I thought he did a good job. Um, I will say this. I f- listened to the song for the first time with the video. It's a good way to listen. Yeah. That's a good start. For the very first time, and I remember thinking... He's starting to lose some weight. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember thinking, this is not as catchy as he wants it to be. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking the the backup singers were a little prevalent for my taste. They're a little up in the mix, shall we say. They're very talented. It's not knocking their abilities, but they are very up in the mix, as if to say, look at these. Look at these I got here. <laughs> huh? You like that? They're they're real and they're fantastic. They are up in the mix. It's really my biggest qualm with over and over and over is the same thing. It's like they're like I don't mind that they're there, but they're really up in the mix. It sounds like I I hate this album. I really don't. It's just it took f- I like four listens before I really like to the song yeah I, i'm worried about the same thing is that i sound like i'm coming off like i don't like the album so far i do yeah i know so <laughs> it's bad i don't know it's baffling like uh, and i would say that uh, not not to get too off topic here but uh, listening to the new album i will admit at times i was baffled and aud- i laughed out loud w- and no one else was laughing because i was surrounded by a room full of like jack jackalites but like 
it was kind of nice to see actually because they were sort of young kids with you know mm-hmm. long hair and all black and the jenkas whatever and they're and they're like <laughs> and they're all like talking to themselves like yeah do you do you feel this and they're like moving their hands around they're like getting really into it it looked like like you me and mike 10 10 15 years ago i did move my hands around an awful lot 10 15 years ago <laughs> but then jack would do something just baffling on the record and i would i laughed out loud and i would turn to the guy next to me like and he would be like very deep in thought and i was like okay what well, i guess all right <laughs> I'll take. I'll have the grape Kool Aid, please. But um, anyway, as part of this press tour, has been going on doing some initial kind of promotional stuff. He went on the K Rock show, the Kevin and Bean show, to explain that he feels rock and roll needs an injection of new blood in order to dominate again. Barbershop is in danger of growing stale. I'm taking it to strange new places. He said the genre was missing a wildness, and while I feel that there are a few exceptions to that, I tend to agree. I think Courtney Barnett's an exception. I think people of his age and etc. bracket, like St. Vincent and stuff, defy that. But on the whole, I think I agree with what he's saying. We're, we're missing a movement. The quote was, Rock and roll needs an injection of some new blood to really just knock everybody dead right now, says White. I think it's been brewing and brewing and it's about to happen. I think that it's good. Since rock and roll's inception, every 10, 12 years, there's a breath of fresh air and a new injection of some sort of what you could call, I guess, the punk attitude or something like that. A wildness. You know, an injection of new blood shouldn't be shocking to most people who think Jack White is a vampire. (laughs) Uh, So let's get into the album release, James. The album was released on March 23rd, 2018 on Third Man Records and XL Third Man in the UK. Rolling Stone called Boarding House Reach White's most freewheeling LP yet, featuring him leading the charge through several extended jams with flashes of psychedelia, jazz, guitar, fireworks, and digital trickery. It almost hurt my feelings to condense some of those songs, but I wanted to make it relatable in 2018, he says. The entire record to me is incredibly modern. I wanted to take punk, hip-hop, and rock and roll and funnel it all into a 2018 time capsule. Also prior to the release, some listening parties were announced. James, both you and I attended those. On March 9th, select record stores across the world hosted advanced listening parties for the album, which featured prizes, performances, and a 15-day head start on everybody else for listening to the record. Mm-hmm. Um, I talked about mine a little bit there, James. I was surrounded by some acolytes, but I had a lovely time in Long Beach where they celebrated with a live performance by a local band and gave away stuff, and it was it was lovely. That was at Fingerprints Music in Long Beach, California. James... What was your experience like? I had heard about the listening parties, looked them up, and the closest one to my house was an hour away, and the closest one to my work was 45 minutes away, and work is an hour and a half away from my house. So uh, if you triangulate those positions, <laughs> like Cliven, um, so I, I in, instead of going to the one closest to my house, I went to the one closest to my work, which was in Princeton, uh, the Princeton Record Exchange. And it was as awkward as I expected. <laughs> I, uh, I arrived at 5.57 p.m. and the launch party started at 6. And I needed change and desperately ran to a Dunkin' Donuts to get change to pay the meter for my car so that it wouldn't get towed. And they did not have cash back. Uh, I did need to pee. I did pee. I did pay for a water that I didn't want. 
And um, <laughs> basically what it comes down to is I arrived about halfway through whatever the second song is, uh, and it wasn't connected by love because... Why walk a dog? Yeah, so I missed a lot of that. But I did pay the meter, so mm-hmm. Princeton has that going for it, I guess. And um, <laughs> I got my button. I got two buttons, actually. That was very nice. And uh, I stood around. There was a lot of mulling about. There were maybe... 10 people there to hear the album and then another 15 who are just shoppers perusing the store which made for an awkward listening experience because i was trying to stand still and not look like i'm standing still Mm. as to not appear like a crazy man (laughs) and and so i was looking at lots of dvds that i did not care for i i almost bought saved by the bell season one (laughs) didn't (laughs) Um, <laughs> that's a little that's a little secret teaser for y'all out there. <laughs> for y'all out there, yes. You know, I did enjoy myself. I stood around a lot. I looked at a lot of things I didn't need to look at, but I did get to hear this Jack White album muffled and <laughs> uh, with with a lot of people talking over it, so I didn't get to hear any of his weird poetry. I, I got to pick uh, the the raffle prize. I picked the name out of the out of a bag for a raffle prize for the tote bag. Yes. I was excited about that. Watched a, a girl win both the tote bag and the tricolor, which was a little infuriating. Especially since there was only 10 people there. Right. Exactly. Exactly. But otherwise, I was happy to get my button and to, to hear them and then uh, drive two hours back home. I did overhear a man as I was perusing CDs by Yes and listening to the album. I heard a guy go... Uh, yeah, this is back alley stabbing music. And you know what? It made me really happy to hear that. <laughs> that is nice. That is nice. It's nice to be around fans again. It's nice to have something to coalesce around again. Right. Exactly. I bought the 45 for Would You Fight For My Love? Because if you bought something at the store, you'd get an extra raffle ticket. So I bought Would You Fight For My Love? Because I didn't have it in 45 form. Which is fine by me, because Parallel is easily in my top ten Jack White songs, even though it's a cover. I think it's the best from... The, I'm one of the best from the Lazaretto era. Of course, I'm a sucker for, for Alone in My Home and those songs. I digress. And I did not win. Mm-hmm. The guy gave away six posters to raffle ticket holders. Oh, man, you guys had posters? Lucky bastards. I didn't win any posters. I had two raffle tickets. There... Mine has a little more than yours. I think there were about 20 people at mine. Okay. And I knew one of them, which made it even more awkward because (laughs) we suddenly had to stand around. We don't know each other that well, but we had to stand around and listen to an album in silence and look at the floor and our phone and stuff. (laughs) Um, The best thing that came out of that was I was fixated on a Kyle Kraft poster on the wall thinking, man, that Mm. guy looks like Jack White. And... I took a photo of it and then went home and listened to the album and actually really liked it. So the listening party gave me a new uh, <laughs> a new modern artist, which I enjoy very much with Cal Craft. But it was a nice experience. I did not win the 7-inch and I did not win the tote bag. It was worth the, the drive. I, I had a good time. I agree. I was able to pick up the new Kills single, which is very good, by the way. And I did what the record store wanted, which was... They wanted to lure people into their store to listen to the Jack White album and have people buy weird Jack White paraphernalia Yeah, in the form of Kills Records, I guess. We, we both did that, yeah. It felt like, I don't know about you, but I 
didn't want to immediately look in the Jack White section at the record store because I didn't want to be like, in my head, I was like, I don't want to be nailed down as the newbie who goes right to Jack White's name and like looks like what records are there. And I was also thinking it's been picked clean if this is a listening party. Like, what am I doing? But I went there and I actually got a Reckontour's CD single that I didn't have. So that's cool. Yeah, it, it turned out to be okay. Yeah. Listening party is nice. It's kind of a nice little pre-tour sort of foreplay. Let's get into the cover here, James. Again, this is pulling from the Mojo interview. This is the Mojo interviewer. The sleeve, is that your face morphed with Black Bell singer Olivia Jean on the cover? To which Jack says, no, I don't know who the model is. The idea was, if you put your hand over my eyes, it looks like a woman. But if you put your hand over the bottom part of the face you can see it's my eyes. So depending what part of the face you cover, it becomes a man or a woman. The interviewer then says, that ties in, I guess, with the idea of this album delivering us a different Jack White. Jack says, yeah, I have an overall sense of ambiguity within myself whenever I'm creating. I don't really think too much of myself as being male. The pronouns have never meant too much to me. The world reminds you of who you are. Like, when I'm writing... I feel like I'm 19 years old, and I'm not anymore, I'm 42, and I don't feel male or female, or that I'm a Detroiter or a Nashvilleian or anything, I just feel like some young entity. But the world quickly reminds you, puts you back in the boxes they made up to label people. It's funny how your spirit feels compared to how you look in the mirror. That got blown out of proportion to Jack is gender neutral all over the place, which in and of itself isn't a bad thing, but I don't think that's what he's trying to say there. I just, I think he was trying to say like, I just feel like a spiritual being. I don't feel like any of these labels that people put on you. Yeah, it was another thing that got turned into a headline, which, you know, yeah, isn't unusual for him. And, you know, he looks like a woman, but... He cuts like a buffer. Uh-huh. Uh, this is via Rolling Stone earlier uh, in my visit. There was a knock at the door. Someone has a summons for you, a voice says. It's Blackwell, the third man exec, and he has actually brought the first three vinyl copies of Boarding House Reach. Ah, White exclaims, grabbing a copy and looking hard at the indigo cover. The androgynous person on the front has White's eyes. When you cover up the eyes of the mouth, the figure changes gender. It turned out good, man, he says, tearing off the shrink wrap. They tell me the test pressing sounded incredible. He looks at it again, this beautiful object he brought into the world, and smiles. It exists now, he says. <laughs> uh, and James, we have a Vault-exclusive cover. We'll, we'll talk a little bit about the Vault package next episode, but James, there's a second cover that is just Jack White's chrome head. I'm a cybernetic organism, living tissue over a metal endoskeleton. And it has nothing to do with the actual album cover, which is causing me a lot of agita, because while I like the chrome cover better, I'm going to feel the need to have both, and he knows that, that son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> and real quick, can I just comment that the fact that he doesn't know who the model is on his cover <laughs> is equal to him not knowing what instrument he's using mm-hmm. for his music. Yeah. I mean, I hope he obtained it legally. Uh, <laughs> Lord knows we obtain all of his music legally, but by this point, I have. It just goes to show, like he's using it as a uh, as a piece of you know the way digital artists sample now. James, I know we haven't even gotten to the track by track yet, but let's end it here. We had a lot to cover. We're next. We're going to be back with part two very shortly, and in part two, we'll go over the track by track. 
and critical review and etc. But James, let's kick it to our third people this week. Paul, I couldn't be more excited. Let's kick it to our third person. like to welcome to the show today tom and aaron tom and aaron thank you so much for joining us oh you're welcome thanks for having us yeah thanks for coming on the show how are you guys i'm good how you been i've been all right i said how are you guys like it wasn't a question and it it's really (laughs) it's really freaking out my brain right now um (laughs) how much sambuca have you had none none yet uh i'm I'm on a strict seltzer diet right now so (laughs) <laughs> All right, food's probably a good idea too. But. Yeah, James, are you eating enough out there? <laughs> Paul, I bought a house. I can't afford to eat. <laughs> You're all skin and bones. It's food or shelter, not both. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> We're joined by Tom and Aaron today to talk a little bit about the show we saw all together recently. One of one of the many we've wound up seeing out here in sunny Los Angeles. We went to go see Margot Price, but first, listeners to the show may recognize Tom for contributing to the opening theme. Of of the show and for being on several times at this point you're just a you're like yeah. a regular i'm semi you're you're like cousin tom and if this was like the brady bunch you'd be like showing up <laughs> uh, but aaron you're brand new to the podcast tell us a little bit about yourself when you got into uh third band stuff what kind of music you started out listening to yeah uh so i'm a freelance illustrator and graphic designer as far as what music i started listening to first i had a prized possession that was a a tape that was given to me by my brother it was a mixtape when I was a little kid and I got my first like personal stereo yeah. and that tape had a, a mixture of the Beatles and Simon and Garfunkel and you had some stones on there. Some maybe blue, like the maybe? police or oh, something. Yeah. It was more like soft. Okay. All right. Yeah. Kind of, you know, cause I'm sure my brother was like, Oh, she's still little. Give her the, <laughs> yeah. the gentler stuff. You didn't get master of puppets. Well, Eventually. so yeah. So I have three older brothers. And so there was always a lot of music in the house. And my dad uh, was very strict and only <laughs> let us listen to like Motown and oldies in the car and stuff like that. Like he hated any modern music. He liked the Beatles, like pre-drug Beatles. Ah. <laughs> ah, <laughs> and yes. he was like a huge Elvis fan. And, oh, well, that's fair enough. And all know. that kind of stuff. So I was very resentful of him <laughs> when I was a kid. <laughs> Eventually, I grew to appreciate that stuff more. And when I was in grade school, I listened to a lot of R&B and hip-hop and stuff. And then I was struck with Pearl Jam <laughs> fever. <laughs> when, <laughs> when Pearl they, Jam fever. <laughs> When they uh, arrived on the scene, and um, so I've been an avowed Pearl Jam fan since I was like 11 years old. And you've seen them a bunch of times right in, or no? I've seen Pearl Jam probably, I think, six times. Six times. Which is not nearly as many times as I would have seen them had it not been so difficult to get tickets sometimes in New York. Right. And we just saw Eddie Vedder for the first time this summer solo. So that was cool. Nice. I mean, now I I listen to a lot of genres. I guess some of my favorites are obviously Jack and I love The Kills. I love St. Vincent. St. Vincent. I love Bjork, Nine Inch Nails. I'm a huge Nine Inch Nails fan. Yeah, lots of different stuff. Yeah. I love Run the Jewels. <laughs> um, yeah. Anyway, that's my general. Sure. 
I mean, <laughs> it's pretty similar to James and mine. Uh, James, you went through a bit more of the grunge stuff than I did. You were more of a Smashing Pumpkins person, though, James. You you avoided the Pearl Jam a little bit. Of- I no, I I took a deep dive into Pearl Jam. Uh, oh, you did. Okay, all right. Yeah, no, love me some Vitology. That's that's my jam. Yeah. That's a great record. I like that one. I did kind of. You know, if it was a thesis, my focus would have been on Smashing Pumpkins. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, <laughs> they're a little more pretentious than Pearl Jam is. Um, I, I love, I love a Billy Corkin, but but man, man, oh man, he hasn't, is... um, he hasn't aged well, yeah. not necessarily physically. Neither have his politics. Um, yeah, <laughs> no, and not only that because he's he's a, he's a frequent guest on like Alex Jones, and I uh-huh. read a quote for him the other day. <laughs> I read a quote from him the other day, and this honestly cheers me up when I'm, like, in a bad mood. If I think of it, it, like, instantly makes me feel better. He honestly believes that he saw someone for real in front of him turn into a werewolf. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Jesus. Oh, my God. That is so good. See, now this is why... This is why he didn't age very well. No, I'm not. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I mean, who's to say that he didn't? I mean, I'm just going to put that out there. Yeah. I mean, I guess you can't not. He might have it. a lot more information that. Yeah. He obviously has a lot more information than we do. Yeah. yeah. So. James would like to share some pamphlets with you about his hollow earth theories. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. <laughs> The Earth is. Shaped. It's also it's both it's flat and hollow, which is weird. <laughs> it's like it's like a sandwich with no meat. It, James has some very controversial opinions. <laughs> well, what is not a controversial opinion is that we had a lovely time seeing Ms. Margot Price the other night, and yes, Aaron, you mentioned you got into Jack stuff, and it seems that your swing tended to go a little harder edge. Mm-hmm. So a country singer like Margot doesn't necessarily fit. The kind of bill you're describing there. Yeah. Now, first impressions just of her as an artist in general and from your point of view, what was your first like sort of thought about her? Um, I think she had really great presence. You know, I think uh, she had a lot of energy. She seemed to connect well with the audience. And again, it's not my go-to genre, but I think they put on a really good show and I definitely could get into it. to the records much prior to that or not really it was just, just a, a little just a little cram sesh little yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's kind of i mean obviously i love going to shows where like i know the words to every song and i'm super familiar with the catalog but it's also nice once in a while to go into something kind of mm-hmm. not really knowing the the catalog and just getting that first impression live sure. is really interesting too 
Yeah. So I definitely had a good time at the shows. Yeah, we saw Margot at the Fonda Theater in Los Angeles in kind of the central Hollywood touristy sort of area. Tom and I headed over and we met up with you later. As Tom and I were walking over, true story, we, we walked right past Loretta Lynn's star oh, yeah. on, the, on the Walk of Fame, which was a nice little omen um, because obviously Margot and Loretta have a lot in common. Mm. But yeah, so the the venue was good. The Fonda is a really nice theater. It reminded yeah. me. Yeah, a lot it was my of, first time there. I liked it a lot. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so it reminded me of the Mayan where we saw the kills. Yeah, like, uh, yeah. Last year of two years ago already. My God. Yeah. Wow. Holy crazy. <laughs> <laughs> but LA is pretty good for a lot of those sort of smaller kind yeah. of theaters. Uh, you guys have been to a bunch of different venues. Is, were there any other similarities to other places you've? Yeah, definitely had a, a feel similar to the Mayan. Yeah. Um, I like that kind of like. It's kind of cozy. Like mm-hmm. it's, it was a nice size, nice decor, and yeah. I like those old theaters that have all the that decoration and that kind of like attention to detail. Sure, and sure. It's a good space. I'm picturing a chandelier and lots of drapery. More like a, like carvings. Like, okay. Or just or like, like yeah, like ornate. Like the Muppet yeah, like, Show without the seats. <laughs> <laughs> mm. yeah. You know, I saw a guy turn into a werewolf there once. <laughs> uh, now, the crowd at the Margot Show was an interesting one. We saw a mix of fedoras. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Cowboy hats. A lot of cowboy yes. hats. And boots. Some bolo ties. Yeah. Yeah. And then us. And then, and then, and then like, yeah. beanies and stuff. Yeah, it was, it was an interesting mix. And then, of course, the tall guy. <laughs> Every show I've gone to with Tom and Aaron... A tall guy, usually in a hat, this time blessedly not, finds its way directly in front of me. <laughs> Do you think my size is funny? <laughs> <laughs> but you got in there. You got a great spot. Yeah. yeah. We yeah. waited till he went to the bathroom, yeah. and then I just <laughs> took sidled his spot. In. Yeah. Well, he well, kind of sidled, sidled up on you in the first place. Yeah, so. he got cozy. He sidled Yeah, because you were kind of there, and he kind of yeah. squeaked in. Yeah, I but, was very aggressive about it. <laughs> Paul, have you thought about getting taller? But it was worth it. It was worth it. <laughs> it was worth it. It was worth it. There was an opening act for this one. Yeah, one of the dudes looked exactly like Zachary Quinto. Yeah, but like not in that way like, hey, you kind of look like Zachary. Like this is, th- that was him. I'm convinced <laughs> of it. it was Zachary Quinto on the stage. I liked that every guy in the band had a very unique personal style, yes. fashion-wise. <laughs> yeah, the lead singer, right? He had the... Yeah, he had the like... Totally like seventies stoner Cowboy. country, yeah. yeah. And then the other guy just looked like lumberjack, right? Like there was one one guy with like a lot of hair. He had a know. giant beard and a lot of hair. He kind of actually looked like Jim Henson. Yeah, bit, actually, he did like a skinny lumberjack. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then there was Zach Quinto. Yeah. And then, <laughs> and then the and then the drummer looked like just like an indie rock I didn't see the kind drummer. of. But he looked like he was fifteen years yeah, old. Like he yeah. looked super excited to be there, and he's drumming <laughs> along and having a ball. He was really good. Yeah. Yeah, they sounded good. When we were on our way over, and I think we talked about it a little bit too, Margot's music, if you're not accustomed to that country thing, and even if you are, can sometimes verge on the cliche country in terms of like, she's a walking country song and she's singing <laughs> a lot about a lot of hardship and heartbreak and these things. But I think the opening act that we saw was a little bit more of like what I would consider like a real cliche of country. Like mm-hmm. Now, do any of these names sound familiar? Paul Cawthon? No. Particle Kid? No. Blank Range? Yep, That's Blank it. Range. Mm-hmm. Yes. And then Blackfoot Gypsies and Aaron Lee Tajan. 
are the openers for her tour. Yeah, it was for sure blank range. And yeah, they were a little cliche for me, but it was fine. And the guy was really funny, too. Like, he was making mm-hmm. a bunch of cracks. He had that, like, Michael Shannon energy yeah. going on. <laughs> and they were good musicians, though. They were really good singers. And uh, mm-hmm. they sang a song. Right, right yeah. yeah. Yeah, I dig that. I like it when uh, bands have more than one singer. Yeah. I stole a poster off the wall. That was very good. <laughs> I got that. Um, it so, was quite bold about it, too. It, yeah, it just. I just saw it. Just, right up and. Yeah. Yeah. Just grabbed it right it down. Yeah. yeah, look, I'm... it was a poster for Black Panther. It had nothing to do. <laughs> Margot came out. I think to start my first impression of it, and I had seen her the first time at the Troubadour, and she was a little more bright and sort of bubbly on that tour. I think she was still very much in the star establishing kind of mode. And then James, we had detailed on the show in the past the run-in I had with her at the end of her set last year, where she did touch my shirt. <laughs> And, and smile at me, and I fell in love. Yes. That show was has sort of been ingrained in my brain as something very awesome and very cool, and I had such a great time at that. So the change in vibe kind of, I don't want to say put me off, but it was definitely, I noticed the change. The biggest change, though, is Jivey was there, her husband. And I think I might also be conflating this a little bit with some tweets that she had been tweeting about how her and Jivey really missed their kid and it made me very sad about it too because she's like i've been home for two days the last four months and i miss my child and this tour is fun everybody but i'm having a tough time and i was like oh god (laughs) that's rough so maybe that's it By the way, this man is Zachary Quinto, <laughs> mixed, with, mixed with Michael Ian Black. It's very bizarre. So anyway, uh, I don't know if you guys caught that. I know, I, we talked a little bit after the show. You didn't really I catch that vibe. she warmed up. Like, yeah. I think in the beginning, she was definitely a little more uh, maybe stiff. Mm-hmm. But then by the middle of the show, she was definitely more energetic and Yes. Um, yeah, I agree. So the so her husband was like the tall guy that didn't have a lot to do. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> with the with the harmonica and stuff, and he wasn't there the last time uh-huh. I saw her, and he's not in the band all the time, but he co-writes. Uh, I want to say like fifty percent of the songs. Mm-hmm. 
from both the the first album and this one. And he was also in her, her band Buffalo Clover prior mm-hmm. to this, which sort of morphed into her modern band. But mm-hmm. Tom, impressions on the sound? I feel like I do nothing but drag you to country shows <laughs> uh, because we we went to see Lily May together. Yeah. What did you think about Margot's sound? Did you listen to the records much, or was it more, mainly like Aaron? It was more of a cram session too yeah. before the show. But I liked it a lot. Yeah, I mentioned it, I think that her uh, sound reminded me a bit, like even vocally she has a bit of a Dolly Parton thing kind of going. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She actually, there's obviously she's a country artist, but there's definitely a, an undercurrent of like rock in there. Yes. And especially when we saw her live, like they really rocked out. They were just, you know, especially her. She was bouncing around to different instruments. Yeah. Was, she was, I thought she was fantastic. I didn't quite notice the lack of energy or whatever in the beginning. I just figured it was just, you know, it's kind yeah. of, it gears up. Mm-hmm. But the show really built and built and built and it yeah. really had a crescendo and, and had a really huge payoff at the end where they did Proud Mary and the opening band came out yeah, and played with them fun. for a little bit too. Mm-hmm. So it was like, and she got down into the audience and yeah, uh, when she went on the drum kit, yeah. that's when I thought it really started to pick up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. And she did that twice. Yeah, yeah. and those yeah, she did it twice. Really and, cool. Yeah, and she was playing with the other drummer. she was on the drum kit she changed it up and went on to the keys mm-hmm. she was on the keyboard yeah she did all american made on the mm-hmm. on the keyboard yeah yeah and that was terrific and even though it was slower it was like somehow not lower energy per se it was still very intense in a way mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so yeah i just thought that she put on a fantastic show she, you know she knows how to command an audience right it's funny you say the dolly parton thing because she came out wearing a what yeah. would dolly do yeah t-shirt i loved her whole look yeah her, her like custom fringe navy suede embroidered right <laughs> right like bell bottomy yeah it was really cool it was very i appreciated the fashion elements <laughs> yeah she's just hanging out on at festivals and getting high with willie nelson and <laughs> and not caring about anything uh, and his just, son came uh, out and performed his i think it was his Grandson. grandkid yeah, i his don't grand- know if it is no Really? My thing was Micah. Yeah. Yeah. I thought I read somewhere recently that it was his son. It could, it it very well might be. um, Guess who's on Google duty? (laughs) Oh, James on Google duty. Okay, cool. Okay. Jacob Micah Nelson is Willie Nelson's son. Okay. How old is he? 27. Born 1990. Really? (laughs) Yeah. God bless him. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, he sounded just like Willie. Uh, Yeah. He looks like him too. They did the duet that they performed together on the album.
that song is really cool because I was recently watching the uh, the Austin City Limits show that Margot did that was released as a DVD in the vault package last year, and she performed that song before this new album came out solo. Not as good. It really needed the duet mm. uh, aspect of it, and... Willie added a lot on the record, and his kid just sounded so much. His kid did a wonderful mm-hmm. Willie impression. I don't know if he was trying to do a Willie impression; mm-hmm. he just does it naturally. But yeah. that was awesome. Have you guys ever seen Willie Nelson live? Mm-hmm. No, I haven't actually. Here's a little tidbit of information, real quick. Particle Kid, a, a band that's touring with Margot Price, consists of Micah Nelson. He is uh, on their touring. Aha! Uh-huh. That makes sense. That makes so. perfect sense. <laughs> so I bet that duet is probably not unique to our show. Possibly. He didn't open the show, so. Yeah, he might be based in L.A. and oh, then Because, yeah. like, if mm-hmm. they're on a different part of the tour. Sure. So yeah, that's so cool that he uh, guested. Yeah. We talked about her getting behind the drum kit, which was which was fantastic. She did the same thing she did last time. I think was she she went off the stage for a little while and then came back on with the Dolly thing. Oh, yeah, they came mm-hmm. back, back on for the encore. Yeah. When I saw her for the first time, she didn't do an encore. She just did the Ringo thing where she left the stage and let the band continue to play. She did that this time, too, now that I'm thinking about it. <laughs> well, James and I have this working theory that Margot Price is a secret Ringo Starr super fan. <laughs> because her, her album... The albums she made with her band Buffalo Clover sound like early 70s Ringo albums to the T. Wow. Really. And yeah. she also does the Ringo thing where he leaves the stage and lets the band keep playing. So it's like yeah. the Elvis has left the building thing, uh-huh. which is maybe what she's emulating instead of Ringo. But I maintain <laughs> my hollow Ringo theory. Margo's living in there. <laughs> But to close the show, so we mentioned my encounter the last time. To close the show, Margot did this really cool thing where she got a bouquet of roses and then came down and I was smack dab front row next to that very tall man. (laughs) And you guys were just behind me. Yeah. And then she went and started handing the roses out to the crowd in the space between the stage and the front row. And she got to me. We locked eyes. Magical. She saw I was wearing her face on my shirt. <laughs> Not just like a drawing he did of her face, though. It was like an official t-shirt. Yeah, no, it wasn't in like ketchup. I smeared on there. <laughs> uh, and she gave me a big old smile and a big old hug, and it was wonderful. He was, Aww. he was, in he was very, very heaven, happy. Yeah. <laughs> he was over the moon. Yes. Um, yeah, that was great. And then she kept going on down the line and left the stage and the band played out and that was it. But it was a really energetic set, especially like you said, toward the end there. And I think it was better than the first time I saw her cumulatively.
also stupid close. <laughs> so that was really mm-hmm. nice too. Like, it's something about being in that front row. I don't know how often yeah. you guys get up there, but not Almost often because <laughs> yeah, you know, I don't like people very much. <laughs> so I don't like I don't, to. Be, I think that's the wrong way to phrase. It. He doesn't I know. You don't like crowds. I don't like crowds that, that much. much. I don't. It just the 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 closeness. And usually we're going to heavier shows, and people yeah. get they get a little they, nuts. They that's yeah. That's yeah, one of the like, reasons I was cool to shoving and here because it was I mean she was very energetic and everything but the the general vibe of the crowd was pretty mellow right and stuff yeah, like it that got so a little like jam bandy for a yes. couple of, you know yeah. like and that's that's cool like I'm not a big jam band person but like that was fun like I liked how they mixed it up with the the slow stuff and yeah. then those jam moments and then like just the more straightforward country or rock stuff so right but yeah I normally don't get that close I just usually prefer to kind of hang out closer to the back you know yeah. closer to the bar maybe and just kind of <laughs> be able to come and go because that's the thing too like once you're up there you're up there yeah <laughs> like you don't like if you leave as far as i'm concerned you leave you lose your spot like yeah. i hate when people push their way all the way like a lot of times too they weren't even there in the first place yep. right that drives me insane uh, with their beers and I just yeah angry and yeah. i don't want to yeah. be angry at the show so i usually try to avoid that kind of stuff as best as i can because I still love live music and I love everything about it. So I don't need to necessarily have to be right up close to the stage. But this time it was really cool. It was a nice yeah. kind of change. And like I said, the crowd was mellow enough that it wasn't, you know, a problem. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. It was just taller than you would have. A little taller, <laughs> but yeah, it was fine. Yeah. It wound up being fine. Uh, so yeah, that was the show. We had, a, we had a wonderful time. And thank you guys again for joining me both there and for uh, joining us on the show here. Yeah, um, thanks for having yeah, us. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Now, Indeed. You now, Aaron, where can people find your work online? Where can people check it out? Hire you for stuff? What's going on? Well, you can find me at uh, Aaron Illustrates. So that's my handle on Instagram and Twitter. It's my Facebook page. It's my website. So Aaron Illustrates. And you do all kinds of stuff there, right? Like, Yeah, I do poster art. I do a lot of lettering. I do a lot of pop culture stuff. It's kind of a mixed bag, but it's all... It's all fun. I do portraits of musicians and all kinds of stuff. So we'll check that out. And then Tom, do you want to remind the listeners? Because you told you gave the plug last time. You have a show coming up. Do you want to? You want to plug the? Oh yeah, we both do actually. Um, We're going to be in Thirty Years Later is the theme at Gallery Nineteen Eighty Eight. So it's pop culture. Yeah, it's a pop uh, culture gallery out here in Los Angeles. Yeah, out here on uh, Melrose. Right. Yeah, movies that came out in. So yeah, the theme for the show is movies that came out in nineteen eighty eight, and it's a. they give you a list and we you pick what you want and we both are going to have a piece in that show and uh, that's going to be is, on April 6th. Is that run by uh, Shogren by any chance? No, he's a, he's curated shows that were hosted there, but um, Gallery 1980 is co-owned by Jensen Karp. Okay. He has a podcast. He also does that show. Or he has a mic. couple podcasts and then he does Drop the Mic, the rap battle oh. TV show. Okay. So, I, th- oh, wow. I think it's on TBS. Yeah, it's on TBS. So, well, yeah. I wonder what a rap battle on TBS would sound like. Well, it's like, it's like celebrities. <laughs> okay. So, yeah. who's, who's the funniest one? Shaq on. Yeah, this, or a new, a new, well, they're working on the new season, and yeah. Shaq will be on. <laughs> anyway, it's, it's pretty fun. It's pretty fun. But the gallery's great. They do all kinds of pop culture-related art shows, and it's always a good time. Yeah. yeah, and otherwise you can check out my work at uh, TomValente.com. With Test. an E at the end. With an E, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you were just yes. in a, your work was just in a Tim Curry art show? Yeah. Yes, uh, that was pretty cool. I oh, that's- had a piece in that, and uh, 
he was, I didn't get to meet Tim Curry, but he was there. A lot of people did get to meet him and they said he was really cool. Nice. And had a couple before that, Buffy show and a yeah, we keep Rick busy. and Morty show. Everybody go check that stuff out. And thank you again for joining us uh, on the show today. And uh, yeah, thank James, you. I think we'll get back to the show. Yeah, let's get back to the show. Fascinating look seeing a new Jack White album, and I am thrilled that we've got it. We are going to continue this next week, but I'm very excited to get into some shout-outs here. Paul, it's in my hands. I can feel it. It is so good. <laughs> the plastic, the paper. Yeah, the plastic is what I really <laughs> felt strongly about. The kids all are crazy about their plastic. There's a hashtag for it and everything. That was a really great episode, and I'm very excited for you all to hear it if you haven't heard the album. It's very good. Give it a listen. Uh huh. So we have some shout-outs here of people who have been listening to the show and interacting with us on social media we're going to get to here. We've got on Twitter uh, Janine Everett or at JNB. Everett. Mm. So thank you very much, uh, Janine. It's very nice of you. We also have uh, Angie Lynch or at 67 Allianch. Allianch. Yep, that, that's a little borderline. We've got Overdrive or at Overdrive Band. We've got uh, Miranda Tomzak or at Miranda underscore Tomzak. I think I'm pronouncing that right. So the Take It Away podcast was so wonderful in retweeting us yes. and promoting the episode 65 where we did the crossover with Take It Away podcast co-host Ryan Brady. If you all haven't listened to the Take It Away podcast, give it a listen. It's wonderful. Yeah, uh, seriously. Even if you're not Beatle fans or Paul McCartney fans for that matter, there's something, something charming about that show and uh, I think you guys would enjoy it. Yeah, we've also got here Linda Stor- Storach, Storachi, Storass, Storass. Storass, yes, Paul, it's Storass. <laughs> Storachi, I think it's Storachi. So anyway, that's at Linda1109 on Twitter. Thank you, Linda. We have Heather May Lose or at May McKenzie 36 uh, We've got Anna Kay or at Edge of the Wood. We've got... Anna Kendrick? Um, not television's Anna Kendrick, James. Damn. Mina or at Mina five six five zero eight nine eight five must kill the president. <laughs> oh man! While Paul is is Manchurian candidating, uh, we have our our regular listeners to the show. So many regular listeners to the show interacting with us on all of the social media platforms. We've got Kate McCoy, the bones of the operation. We've got my oh me, it's me oh my. We've got keeping us on those rails, it's Jeremy Rails. We've got Andre Ice Cold. Yeah, Jeremy Lyman. Rails, our, our friend Jeremy Rails. <laughs> Jeremy Riles, thank you for keeping us on those Riles. <laughs> We've got Andre Ice Cold Lyman. We've got our third person in spirit every week, Kelly Durga. Thank you, Kelly. We've got Eileen Corsano. I see you over there, Eileen. Don't you try and pull anything. I see you over there. We've got the punk rock queen, Adrian King. Thank you so much. We've got the red, red rain, Prosper. We've got LOL. Ho, ho, 2.0. James, these are inspired tonight. <laughs> We've got the heart of the operation, Amy Hart. We've got David Pope. We've got S.A. Franco. What does that mean? Enough is enough. We've got Eric Andrew Dotson over here. We've got Yvette Wilkins on Sunshine. 
Anybody? We've got Brendan Smith. We've got Brian Walter Be Nicer to Me. Uh-huh. And do I have the right opinion? Yes. Oh, sorry. No, I don't, because we've also like to thank No Right Opinion, which we also have dubbed... There's no right opinion for you here? Is that what it was? Maybe. Look, there's no right opinion for you here. And, uh, and yeah, that's, that's, that's it. All right. And if uh, people would like to get in touch with us on so- said social media, you can contact us at facebook.com slash thirdmen, Twitter at thirdmencast on Tumblr, thirdmenpodcast.tumblr.com. You can visit our website, thethirdmen.wordpress.com, or send us an email, thirdmenpodcast.gmail.com. You can find us where we host the show on our iHeartRadio page. That's the Spreaker page s-p-r-e-a-k-e-r in search of third men you can also find us on youtube where james does some really funny animations and visualizers and such and please rate review and subscribe on itunes i mentioned this the last couple times still mean it they've made it a lot easier to rate review and subscribe on itunes so it does you no longer have to go through lots of rigmarole you can simply just go on there and press a button and be done with it and it uh does a lot of good for us so please uh please remember to go do that and i've noticed a couple people have done it so far so thank you guys uh to those of you who have we really do appreciate it and it puts a smile on our face and gets us a little more uh, noticeable on itunes which is great yes if you got any uh, listeners' questions, feel free to send those in. And we'd also like to thank Sam Kubert and Tom Valenti for the help with our theme song, We're the Third Men, as well as Susanna Roundtree for her lovely intros and outros to our program. Yes, and we'd also like to thank again our third people this week, Tom and Aaron. Thank, thank you. you, Tom and thank Aaron. You both. And James, I think that's going to do it for us. Can I just say, before we, we, before we wrap the show, there is a, an ad for who to follow. I'm looking at on our Twitter landing page right now, and uh, I would just like to read you this this first one here. My Bitcoin Air life. Oh, boy. Howdy. Or at Bitcoin Air life. So all you out there, go follow that, I guess. Yeah, and that was promoted. Somebody paid money for me to see that, and they have 56 followers. Anyway, and I'll be looking for a home that I will purchase with Bitcoin. And I will be looking for a home in a boarding house. And uh, I'll see you guys next week. Bye. Yep, later. Wait, not next week. Two weeks from now. Paul, you fool. No. (laughs) For more information or to contact the show, visit thethirdmen.wordpress.com or email at thirdmenpodcast at gmail.com. Also visit at thirdmencast on Twitter and search The Third Men on Facebook. See you next time. Invite him over. <laughs> Why not? Why not? Why can't I say, hey, can I, gonna be in, hey, can I say hello, give you a kiss? <laughs> I'd like to point out, by the way, at the start of this Skype call, you answered, you, you called me. And then when I answered the call, it was just 
the curtains and the sh- and the shades like you were the president of the United States of America, and I was waiting for you to walk down I killed Bin Laden way to to, to address me. It was it's you know like a Disney pre-show how they have like the curtains open and it's like a movie screen with a curtain on it and then that opens and it's Ellen DeGeneres going like energy am I right you know yeah. it's that kind of yeah it's you know. just like that. You could do that, and then we'll just we'll just talk quickly about the Margot show, sure. and we'll try and keep it to like a 20, type 20, 25, something like that. Um, James? Yes? You just sit there and look pretty. I can do that. Okay. <laughs> Good luck, James, in the future. <laughs> Now I'm going to have to use that too. <laughs> I was... Uh, what's his name? Hold on. Hold on, bit. You know, the way digital artists sample now. Kona literally just ripped off the step pedal of my garbage can and walked away with it. So I'm going to go get that real quick. Real quick. Um, April 1st. I love that you couldn't wait to get the pun out. And <laughs> <laughs> I think I think April 1st is a Wednesday, if I'm not mistaken. I think it's in between. just came through a second ago Dominic John Davis liked my tweet the show debuted in 1970 and it did you get my happy days no I didn't I didn't get your happy days what I didn't hear you no that's fine okay great uh so it did I love that that implied you knew where I was trying to steer this, and yet you were staying in the monkey thing. James, James. It's very good. Give it a listen. It's very bad. Don't listen to it. That's just in case. This here segment we call Stop Breaking. Yes, Stop Breaking. (laughs) 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 All right. Uh, Hold on. James. Yeah. Yeah, Paul.
Is there something we should stop doing? Man, I don't know. I love that song. Some coffee? I would love some coffee. That would be great. Thank you. One more cup for the road. Ariel just made a Jack White pun, and I just wanted that to be. (laughs) Ariel poured water for the coffee all over the counter instead. Pot. Okay. thing and while he's oh doing God. that my wife's home surprise uh, surprise she just caught me she just caught me podcastinating in the bedroom <laughs> Paul that's why you need a little hidey hole That seems Catholic to me. And I'm Wayne Kaminsky. You are all invited to join us on a magical mystery trip through the lives of the Beatles every week on the Yesterday and Today podcast. This show details the chronological journey of the world's most famous band, using music, interviews, and rarities collected since the debut of John, Paul, George, and Ringo onto the world stage. We're a fan-made production, and we're available now on iTunes and wherever you find your podcasts. So sit back, relax, and download the stream. We hope you will enjoy the show.